And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Pastor Ben Miller. He's pastor of Trinity Church on Long Island. Uh, Ben, it's great to have you with us today. Always good to be with you, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a while, so I'm really (laughs) excited that you're back with us. Um, Ben, the topic today we'll uh, get to in just a minute, but I I wanted to ask you first, um, you weren't always a pastor, were you? Uh, No, uh, to be sure. (laughs) You you started off, what was it, in law? Right. Um, I... um I did study law. I, uh, I passed the bar exam in uh, 2000. And yet I'd have to say, uh, in retrospect, that by the end of my, I guess, third year or so of law school, um, I was already, I, I realize now, really wrestling with a call to the ministry. Mm. Um, I grew up in a, an extremely theologically confused church context and um, really experienced a lot of damage from that in, in both my own sort of soul, <laughs> my own internal, de- you know, development and uh, my own thinking and and, uh, and also just in my relationships. And so um, it was around the time I was in law school that God began, from all that began to, you know, brought me to some people who began to sort of teach me the way of God more perfectly and open up the gospel to me and, and even just simple truths about grace. And um, as, that, as that happened, I just began to really desire very much to become... A, a mouthpiece of truth to, you know, the truth that sets people free and, and be able to help people who had been confused and, and even, you know, in some cases really exploited by false teaching and false teachers. Um, uh, that just began to burn in my heart. And so um, it wasn't very, very long after I passed the bar exam that I was already inquiring with some pastors, one of whom was Bill Shishko, uh, my, uh, my colleague here on Long Island. And, uh, began to just look into the possibility of training for the ministry. So, yeah, it's an interesting story, uh, which I think may relate actually to our topic in a few minutes as well. But Well, thanks, uh, Ben. I, I'm really excited to hear that story. It touches my heart. And, um, yeah, our topic today comes from this. Uh, you know, we, we uh, maybe watch the news on TV or hear it on the radio, worldwide news, there's a lot of uh, unrest in the world, whether it be Russia or ISIS in particular, um, cutting off Christians' heads, the big uh, void that the present administration left in Iraq, and, and the bad guys came in and they're wreaking havoc. Um, a lot of bad news, and it's so easy to get um, discouraged, fed up, uh, just just turn off the news and, and put your head in the sand almost and say, I, I can't take this anymore. And a lot of us can't take it anymore. But um, we sometimes and maybe often will miss the, the glory of the resurrection of Christ. And um, I was, uh, before we opened the mics today, I was just reviewing a portion of Scripture from Isaiah 2. And it's so very encouraging uh, where he's saying that it shall, and not maybe, but it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Now that talks about a wonderful hope, and, uh, and maybe that can get us started. Ben, um, what can we do? Uh, what What is the truth of God for us today? 
um, that he would have us have in light of this terrible news worldwide, and and it seems like the Christians are losing and all of this. Uh, maybe you could help us uh, think about this. Yeah, well, it's something I think about, of course, all the time. Um, <laughs> I mean, really what we're, what we're talking about here, it seems to me, is falls under uh, what theologians have called the doctrine of God's providence, that um, God, our God reigns. Our God, from the very moment of creation, is the He's the most high over all the earth. He's the he's a great king over all the earth. And I really think it's appropriate to say that the whole story of the Bible is really the story of his kingdom, that, that the kingdom of God is sort of the, the central idea of the scriptures. And, and um, part of why I said that even my own personal story might relate to this is I think every one of us in our sort of uh, micro story, if you like, you know, the, the story of Ben Miller or Dan Elmendorf or, or of whomever it might be, every one of us in our small little story can see as as it unfolds how something that God writes into an earlier chapter um, which just seems awful, which even seems like a sort of a story stopper <laughs> mm. uh, becomes in the hand of God over time something that he uses for for wonderful purposes of grace. I mean, I, I would have never chosen to uh, experience many of the things that I did as a child and as a young adult um, but I have been utterly amazed as a minister of the gospel how God uses those things, uh, you know, actually gave me wonderful gifts through those very, very painful experiences um, that are bearing fruit now. Um, and and it's, that's, how, that's how the story works when God is writing it. I, I, uh, I, preached, I finished preaching through Genesis sometime last fall, and... Um, of course, it concludes with the story of Joseph, and that, that really, uh, the story of Joseph takes up 25, more than 25% of the book of Genesis, uh, space-wise, and that seems to me to be the, the dominant idea of that, that part of the story of Genesis is Joseph's statement there in the end when he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil and God meant it for good. Mm. I mean, isn't that the cross, that which the world and Satan intended as perhaps its greatest crime and its greatest perpetration of evil, God actually transformed be the very act by which he saved the world. And um, I think, actually, strangely enough, it might be easier to see that in the, in the micro-story level than it is to see it at the macro-story level. Uh, but that's why the Bible, I think, among the reasons why the Bible gives us these sweeping centuries of history, so that we can see that not just in Joseph's life, but in the story of Israel as a whole, and the story of the people of God as a whole, things that just seem like catastrophes are under the providence of God, under his rule and government of all things, they are they are actually working truly for good. And I, I think, Dan, honestly, um, part of the problem for us in this moment in our nation's history and our civilization's history is just impatience. Um, the Bible takes an awfully long view of things. <laughs> and um, I think that when there is sort of this um, sense that which I grew up in, interestingly, at the end of the 20th century, I grew up in a, in a church context where there was a lot of talk about really ex- expecting the world to end. I don't know if that was just because of the turning of the millennium or what, but there was just this sort of, um, you know, in the late days before the fall of communism and everything, there was just this sense of, you know, the end is near. Yeah, it's true. Um, and, and that sort of deep, imminent sense of pessimism um, I, I think that when you look at the world that way, it's very easy to sort of narrate the particular events you read in the news as, well, see, this is just further proof. But maybe there's another way to, another lens through which we could look at this, which is, well, maybe this is, this 
is just one more dip in the ebb and flow of of history where God is working. The church has been in very, very dark times before where the church is apostatizing from the gospel and from obedience and, you know, there are enormous pagan world powers that are trampling uh, the church under under their boot, and yet you just go on a, another century or so, and suddenly there's there's revival, there's reformation. And I, I think I think sometimes we just suffer from a kind of cultural impatience. Our, in our world, everything seems to happen very quickly. We want we want microwave reformation, and there is no such thing. I mean, God is <laughs> weaving strands that, God willing, our children and great grandchildren, maybe great grandchildren, will uh, they'll see the tapestry better than we do. But I, I, that that's one thing I I think we need to get back to is just kind of a bit more of a long term perspective on a lot of this. And I wonder too. Uh, you're a pastor. You're you're pastoring Trinity Church on Long Island. During our worship services, um, is it not appropriate to have this? really optimism regarding the power of God, yes, the advance of the gospel, and the raising of our covenant children. Well, to be sure, I mean, where else are you going to find a ground for optimism? Right? <laughs> I mean, that, in, a real, in a sense, what you've just said is sort of the, the essence of, of everything that, that we mean by Christian hope, is that God is working, and, and um, yes, I think, I think we definitely need to reflect on how we are not just in our catechism or, you know, whatever tools we use to, to teach our children the doctrine of the Christian faith, but in our mood, which <laughs> I, I am in, I'm in what is called a Reformed Church, and, and for those listeners who know anything about Reformed Churches, the, the tendency sometimes for uh, Reformed Churches to, to come off as just very kind of doctrinaire and sort of, you know, dry and and stoic about our our uh, convictions. I I really believe that one of the things we need to be deeply sensitive to in biblical worship is mood. Yes, amen. <laughs> we are to be celebrating uh, the the greatness and the goodness of God. Not obviously that we are in any way irreverent or um, you know unaware of our uh, our need for contrition before the, the holiness of God. Um, there is sobriety in worship, but I mean we are. We are, we are bringing ourselves back under those means by which God proclaims to us and, 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 and ministers to us his world-changing, life-saving grace. Oh, yes. And if, if that does not evoke celebration, then I think perhaps <laughs> we're, we're being inattentive. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking about this before we got talking, uh, before we went on the air. I was uh, looking at an article, I believe it was written by Ken Gentry, and he was, it was regarding wishful thinking or certain hope uh, was, yeah. was part of the title. And it was really interesting what he said. He says, um, it should be the Christian's wish that the gospel of Jesus Christ make overwhelming and victorious progress in the earth. It should be our wish that the world be overflowed with the righteousness of God through our diligent God-blessed labor, and it should be our wish that peace arise as a result of the gracious transformation of human nature under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Then he says this, why would a Christian wish for anything less? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that's a magnificent question, and to your point about children, too, I, I, I really believe that children catch this mood and they will tend to latch on to our mood, sometimes even in contradiction of our words if we're not careful. I mean, yes. we can talk 
big about the gospel, but if we don't act like we believe it, if if we don't have that sort of deep, confident wishing and 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 a really kind of grandiose wishing, because God makes grandiose promises, um, and we're not excited, we're not looking forward, then I think um, you know that our little ones are walking into that future. Mm, so true, and uh, they will, you know, in the ordinary course of events, they will outlive us walking into that future. Uh, and um, I, I think we set the mood of their lives, you know, in, in very powerful ways in those early years of their life as they're worshiping with us. Do they sense that this God is our God, and he will be our guide even to death? And, you know, the Lord is my God, I will praise him. The Lord is my Father's God, I will exalt him. That that, that sense of um, you know, generation to generation, God is at work. Yeah. So these little ones are precious in God's sight. We call them covenant children. Uh, that that has a certain preciousness to it, doesn't it? It certainly does, and, and I think one place in the Bible we see this portrayed very graphically and actually soberingly is, is in the, the first generation out of Egypt that comes to Kadesh Barnea, and they, they send in the spies, and the reports come back that uh, Canaan's kind of bristling with Canaanite spears, and <laughs> that, uh, that former generation says, well, God brought us out to kill us, and God speaks very strikingly to them, and he says, well, your unbelief means you're going to wander for 40 years until I've Wow. Basically killed you off, and these children that you said were going to be a prey, they will go in and take the land. Um, yes, yes. And, and I, you know, thanks be to God, he can even take our faithless pessimism and do great works in the lives of our children, but how much better uh, to just have generation to generation saying, look, we don't know how God's going to do it. Yes. Frankly, we don't have the military power to take Canaan. We don't, we don't, our strength is not in our arm. I mean, the Middle East looks hopeless. The, the, the downturn in, in the, the morals uh, public morals of the United States seems irreversible, and, and yet God is God. And, and so it's a call to, to sort of small local faithfulness. Mm. Just get back to the ordinary, everyday things God has given us to do and the belief that he will take those small things and he will, he will work wonders. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, and I think Gentry brought this out in his article too, that um, is there kind of a weird sort of cause and effect such that uh, Christians... Um, um, kind of expect the worst, and they have this pessimism, and uh, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where they retreat from the culture, anticipating its collapse, and then, similar to the Iraq situation with ISIS, uh, humanism gets sucked into that void left by the retreat of Christianity. I think that is, I mean, I think that's historically demonstrable, um, and I think we need to we need to be aware of of history in our own moment uh, and not repeat that error. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't uh, I have major concerns about what is known as the prosperity gospel that somehow uh, is this kind of wish fulfillment that if I I really want something very badly that obligates God to give it to me. Um, yes. In the way of material wealth, but I am that said I am really taken aback by Jesus' statement, "Be done to you according to your faith." Um, mm. You have not because you ask not, and I think that sometimes, I think that sometimes, somehow, in God's providence, He actually allows us to get what we expect. <laughs> and I think that more, uh, more gospel-saturated expectations uh, would be a means by which God would actually bring them to fulfillment. Well, we have about ten minutes left in our discussion here today, and it's a it's a large discussion. But I I I, I love the idea of keeping this very practical and simple yeah. things moms and dads can be doing as they raise their families. 
everything from worship to godly education. Uh, where do we go from here, uh, Pastor Ben Miller? Well, um, I've got a head full of Genesis after having preached on it, and I was thinking recently, uh, there's this interesting movement in Genesis from Abraham to Jacob in particular to then his son Joseph, where very much like the book of Acts, which begins with a small group of disciples in Jerusalem and ends with Paul preaching in the in Rome, the center of the power of the empire. That's how Genesis is, too. You've got little Abraham. You know, he wanders around for a century or so tending flocks. His great-grandson is on the throne of Egypt. Um, very interesting movement. And I, I think I think that patriarchal movement from small things, really just living in communion with God. Abraham's a worshiper. He digs wells and and builds altars, right? And um, I think I think really two things, largely, uh, worship and vocation. Um, we need to worship. We need to worship faithfully. We need to worship joyfully. We need to worship covenantally and, and generationally. Uh, we need to we need to really maintain that Sabbath commitment to honor God with the way we mark time and just celebrate every week. Mm. His, his goodness, and you know, and do that in community, and really make that a robust rhythm of life. And then I think vocation, um, because really at the end of the day, the church's influence is in her relationships, right? Um, Paul tells the Ephesian church about wrestling principalities and powers, but I think he's really kind of already laid down so much of what that looks like. It looks like uh, the body life of love. It looks like husbands loving their wives, wives submitting to their husbands, children children obeying parents, uh, parents nurturing their children. It looks like slaves obeying masters and masters being gentle and respectful toward their servants and and on and on. And, and in these sort of everyday, ordinary relationships and callings, the work that whatever your hand finds to do, do it in your strength for the, for the honor of God, not to please men. Um, and and in these everyday relationships, whether it's within the home or in broader and neighboring relationships, that that really is the stuff of faithfulness. Mm. And yeah, the mom who's changing the laundry yet again, or the you know the guy who's um, out on the job, or you know whatever it might be, the student struggling with another test. It's it's in these everyday sorts of things, tending a garden, whatever it is that we are we're doing what God made us for, and um, those who honor Him, He will honor. And especially in, in our relationships with, with those in, in outside the faith, to just love them as people made in the image of God and, and uh, look for opportunities to just display before them the order and the beauty and the kindness and the patience and the loveliness of, 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 of our walk with God. I, mm. I mean, it's not a dramatic program, but it worked for the patriarchs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, yes. And uh, I, I love the idea that you're tying in vocation, that... Uh, Along with worship, we have our vocation, and uh, I think of, uh, I, I don't do this, but I think of a plumber, and uh, perhaps it's a leaky pipe, and he he has to cut the pipe, put a new fitting on it, get all the, the water dried out before he sweats in a new fitting. That that may be viewed as simple, um, but it's, it's a small part, indeed, of faithfulness to Christ and his kingdom. Yes, yes it is. Yep, it's an act of obedience to him, yep. and it displays his. You know, it even displays his way of being with the world. That we we actually believe that these sorts of things that really are for the common good, they deeply matter. Right. Um, so we should be content uh, with small things. I, I is what I'm hearing from you, and uh, it's okay if our if the progress that we experience is a slow 
progress. Yeah, it is. Uh, okay. It is. Amen. I mean, I think, I, I, right, I, I think that the flip side of sometimes our discouragement with small things is, is maybe just too much of an eagerness for big, dramatic, quick changes. Uh, I like James Davison Hunter's concept of just faithful presence mm. in his book, uh, To Change the World, where he critiques a lot of Christian approaches to sort of changing the world. He just talks about faithful presence. I think that, that, that phrase is helpful. Just be a faithful presence in the world and just let God work in his own good time. Jesus said to the apostles, it's not for you to know the times and seasons set by the Father. No. You preach here in Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That, that's, that's where we're at. Yeah, yeah. You know, before I, I hinted at this idea of um, possibly falling into the trap of having uh, a pessimism, and uh, I know when I was growing up as a teen, I would hear people that almost wanted uh, things to get worse and worse yeah. so that Jesus could come yeah. back. <laughs> but that kind of presupposes something, and that is that you know the timing, and we don't know that. Right. Um, it's as likely that he comes tomorrow or the next day or that he'll come 10,000 years from now. Now, that's going to blow you away to some Christians, but I really think that's what the Scriptures would have us believe. I know. I, I had a friend some years ago who said, I think we're in the early church still. And I, I, I was dumbfounded. That was the strangest mm-hmm. thing I didn't think I'd ever heard someone say about human history. And mm-hmm. yet, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, that as I, as I, we'll talk about this maybe another time, but as I read the prophets and what they say about we ought to be expecting when Messiah comes, and of course now he has, uh, I, I think it's not an altogether implausible thing to suggest. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thought for sure. I think you're on to a, a really strong point there. Um, before we open the mic, and we only have about three minutes left, I also was reading Psalm 110. It was a most encouraging psalm. And, uh, dear listener, you may want to look that up after this broadcast today. I'm talking on the phone line today with uh, Pastor Ben Miller and he's pastor of Trinity Church on Long Island. By the way, Ben, what's the location of where you're meeting? We moved last November to uh, Syosset, New York, and we're at uh, 231 Jackson Avenue. We're meeting at Faith Lutheran Church. Uh, God opened up a wonderful Lutheran congregation uh, that they let us use their building at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and so we're we're worshiping there now. It's just been a, a really wonderful transition, and God's been very kind to us. So it's 231 what? Jackson Avenue in Syosset, S-Y-O-S-S-E-T. Beautiful. Well, I'm so glad that you're able to uh, lease a, a beautiful sanctuary. That's that's wonderful. It is wonderful. God has been oh. just blessed us greatly. So uh, in closing, Ben, um, suppose you're speaking to a, a mom and dad listening here today. Um, perhaps it's a little bit of a struggle for them. Uh, any final word of, of advice uh, in this in this age of of a lot of bad news right now over the radio and TV. Well, I would really spend some time with Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. When, when Paul, the, the movement is through those, again, those everyday family relationships and callings that God has given his people. <clears throat> that is how you stand and do battle against principalities and powers. That, that's where the wrestling takes place, not sort of out shouting at the heavens, but just doing those everyday faithful things. So just be encouraged. I mean, the... Our God is a warrior, and uh, we don't fight with carnal weapons, but he has entrusted these things to us, and as we do them in his name, um, He will. the gates of hell will not prevail before the movement of his church. Mm, a beautiful summary. So uh, read Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and be encouraged. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Ben Miller. I keep wanting to call you Dr. Ben Miller. I actually, 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 you had to get your uh, 
doctor of juris, or however you say that. Juris doctor degree, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you are a doctor, <laughs> and uh, well-studied, and uh, now in theology, very well-studied. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dan. God bless. Yeah, same to you and your church. And, um, dear listener, this entire episode is up on our website. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And if you have a question for Pastor Ben Miller, by all means, just email us. We'll forward it to him. Our email address is ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. What is righteous? He who speaks the truth from his heart. Who has no slander on his tongue, does not do his neighbor wrong, has no slur upon his fellow man. He who does these things will never be shaken, never be shaken. He who does these things will never be shaken. He who does these things will never be shaken, never be shaken. Shake